Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. As Adam said, we are wrapping up this series that we are calling I Am. It's like, you know, I'm going to trip on this carpet today. It's going to be really awkward. Anyway, what we've been doing over the month of February, are taking a look at these, what are called the I Am statements of Jesus Christ. He made seven of them. We're only doing four of them. Um, But they are sort of really profound descriptions that he used to Tell the world who he is and, and what he can do for us. Last week, if you were with us, we took a look at the time Jesus called himself the bread of life. And if you remember, if you were here, this was a name, as benign as it looked, this was a name that caused hundreds of people, thousands of people, maybe even tens of thousands of people to walk away from Jesus, to, to just to doubt him and go, mm, I'm out. And we, we landed on this question that Peter, one of the disciples, asked when he was thinking about walking away from Jesus because of this statement. And the question he asked was, to whom shall we go? In other words, if not Jesus, because we're looking like we're going to walk away from him, if not Jesus, then who? If not Christianity, then what? This is what I want to focus on today as we wrap up. Because we live in a world that has many spiritual options, okay? We live in a country that celebrates diversity of thought and beliefs, which is why what Jesus says today drives so many people crazy. They find it offensive. They find it bigoted. They find it politically incorrect, closed-minded. But as we wrap up this series, I honestly felt it was vitally important for us as a church to look at the time when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I'm the way to God. I am the truth that will set you free. I am the life that you are looking for. No one, okay, now let me pause to make sure we understand this phrase, no one, because when it was written in the original language, what it meant was no one, not a single person, no exceptions, not you, not me, not your mom or your dad, not your grandparents, not your children. No one comes to the Father except through me. People do not criticize the way that Jesus loved people. They applaud that. They do not criticize the way that he elevated and helped the marginalized. They don't criticize the way that he raised up um, women in society. They don't criticize the way that he lived his life. What they criticize are his exclusive claims to be the only way to God. And what they'll say, and maybe you think this, which is fine if you're here today, what they say is, well, that's not fair. It's not, it's not fair to say that Jesus is the only way. I mean, that's, that's just your opinion. And by saying that, you're invalidating other people's opinions. Or how do you know you're right? Every religion thinks they're right. How do you know that you're right? And so people hear the exclusive claims of Christ, and it leads many to get involved in what I call the whatabouts. Like, well, if Jesus is the only way, then what about the people who never hear the gospel? What about the people deep in the Amazon jungle? What about people who are born in in different countries, who were born into families that believe different religions? What about, what about, what about? I get it. I understand all of that. I I feel the tension just as much as you do. The question is, what do you do with that tension? Because many of us, in order to release the tension, we'll conclude, well, 
all paths lead to God, right? There's a thousand ways to God. You've heard this. Maybe you think this, right? Um, I may take the Jesus path to God. You know, that person may take the, the Hindu path to God. This one over here is going to take the New Age path to God. But, but all of these paths, they, they lead to God. In other words, all religions are the same. And let's be honest, because we're all friends here, right? This sounds pretty good, right? You might not want to admit it, but like this, this right here feels loving. This feels inclusive. doesn't feel exclusive. This feels, this feels right. This feels American. Jesus, Buddha, crystals, just, they're just different paths to the same God. All religions, when you step back and you really look at them from 36,000 feet, honestly, they're all the same. Here's the problem. All religions are not the same. And I would just say this. To say that all religions are the same is an insult to every religion out there. And I'll also say this as a pastor with a microphone doing this job right now. Within each religion, you will find some truth. Within each religion, you will find some beauty. Within every religion, you will find something that adds value to your life. But, just because you can find some truth and some beauty and some value add does not mean that all religions are the same. I want to show you, okay? So for just a couple of minutes, I want to transport you back to college and I want to welcome you to World Religions 101. And I want to give you a brief, and when I say brief, I mean brief synopsis of some of the world religions. Now, here's my disclaimer because I don't want to get any emails. I can't, and this goes for Christianity as well, I can't do any of these religions justice in, in the short amount of time that I'm going to give to them right now. But here's my promise. I will not create a straw man argument. Obviously, I'm a Christian, but I will not present an opposing religion in some warped, extreme version of itself to make it look ridiculous. That's not love. Love is, is, is showing you the truth to the best of my ability. So let's jump in quickly, and let's just start with Buddhism. This is a an image that we're very familiar with as Americans. You see Buddhas all over society. Now, I'll be honest. I'm always a little um, surprised or confused when I see a Buddha statue in the home of a Christian. That's a different sermon for a different day. Now, a Buddhist believes that there is no God. They do not believe in a final afterlife. What they believe is that there are just countless rebirths or reincarnations which means that Buddhists are different from Hindus because in Hinduism, they do have a god. His name is Brahman, um, but it's an impersonal god. And you approach this personal god, impersonal god through deities and statues and idols. Let's just take these two religions, Buddhism, Hinduism. Neither of them have the forgiveness of sins. Neither of them offer any kind of supernatural help. Uh, both of them have only karma. You know, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad in return. So, so you've got Buddhism, you've got Hinduism. What about Islam? Muslims worship the god Allah. And many will say that Allah and Yahweh, who, if you don't know that name, that's the personal name of the Christian God and the Jewish God. Many will say that Allah is the same as Yahweh, meaning Jews, Christians, Muslims all worship the same God. Different paths, but all the same God. This is where it gets a little tricky. All three of those religions are what are known as Abrahamic religions, meaning Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their roots back to one God, Abraham. 
in the Old Testament. That's where the similarities end, okay? Now, Muslims do believe, you ask them, they believe this. They do believe that Allah and Yahweh, the, the God of the Christians and the God of the Jews, is the same God. They believe that. However, our holy books kind of say otherwise. The Quran states that Allah is one, rejects the notion of the Trinity. The Bible states that Yahweh is three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Quran states that Allah is able to lie, or the term they use, deceive. The Bible states that Yahweh uh, cannot lie. Lastly, Allah is an impersonal God who does not love sinful humanity. Yahweh is a personal God who loves the world. So that means they are simply not the same God. Now, what about New Age movement? I'll be honest with you, I know the least about this. Um, particularly because it's very diverse in its beliefs. But generally speaking, there is no personal God. Rather, the practitioners are seeking uh, a higher consciousness. Uh, they're seeking to become one with the universe or the cosmos. And based on what I am seeing, the New Age movement is really picking up steam with the younger generations. It's a massive movement of folks really just trying to find themselves. Now, lastly, what about Christianity? Christians believe in a personal God who loves people unconditionally. They believe that God um, became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ who would then sacrifice his life for the forgiveness of sins. So what's the takeaway from this? The takeaway is it may feel good to say all religions are the same, but they are not. It may release the tension to say that, that all religions lead to God. But the truth is, they're all worshiping very different gods if they worship a god at all. Which is precisely why Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if this is true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then we need to carefully consider what Jesus is saying. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time is I want to invite you, right? Because I don't know what your spiritual journey is right now. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're a Christian, you're this, you're that, you're searching, someone dragged you here. I just want to invite you for the next 20 minutes or so to consider Jesus. Because you have a ton of spiritual options out there in the world. But I want to just show you a few aspects of Jesus' life, and I would love for you to just consider him, right? Because I believe he can change your life. So I want to start by kind of talking to you about Jesus' ministry. That is the way that he interacted with people and the way that he loved people. And what I want to do is I want to contrast Jesus' ministry with that of the Pharisees, who were the Jewish religious leaders at the time. Now, according to our ancient texts, the Pharisees would snub those with loose morals, those who had a past, those who were too poor, those who were too different, those who had a physical handicap. They, they wouldn't socialize with these folks. They looked down on these folks. They thought that to be in the company with these people actually would jeopardize their own standing with God. I want you to take a look at one such incidence. We see this in Mark 2. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Notice that Mark is quick to uh, differentiate the tax collectors from the sinners, asked to not insult the sinners. 
Because tax collectors at this time, these are not IRS agents, and I know we love paying our taxes. That's not what this is. What this is are these are Jewish folks who bid for the job, so to speak, for the Roman government to say, I can collect this much taxes from my own people. They were seen as traitors, okay? So what's so amazing about this is that people, tax collectors and sinners, people who were nothing like Jesus, come on, nothing like Jesus, they liked Jesus, and he liked them back. And they wanted to be in his company, and he wanted to be in their company. And most importantly, these folks felt completely comfortable in the presence of Jesus in spite of what was going on in their lives and in spite of what society had said about them. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Let me pause and address this comment. Because there might be someone here today or someone watching online right now who has had this type of interaction with a Christian or a local church. You know, at some point, you kind of let your guard down and you opened up to a church leader or you opened up to a Christian and when they found out about you and your past or your lifestyle or your struggles or your mistakes, they treated you like scum. And maybe it was the very followers of Jesus that caused you to walk away from Jesus. And if that's your experience, I am so unbelievably sorry. The only thing I can say is this, please, 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 do not confuse Christ with Christians. Do not confuse a church with Christianity because people are flawed, churches make mistakes, but Jesus is perfect and full of love. So the Pharisees say, why does Jesus eat with such scum? And Jesus hears this. And he's like, I'm so glad you asked, but let me tell you why, okay? He goes, healthy people, they don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they're righteous. Ooh. In other words, y'all ain't righteous. You just think you are, okay? And I didn't come for that disgusting, self-righteous behavior. I did not come for those who think they're righteous. No, I came for those who know they are sinners. Imagine being in this room. Imagine being one of those who is broken or lost or sick or dead in your sins, as scripture would call it. Imagine that you are someone that religion or society has turned their back on. Some of you don't have to imagine that, do you? Now imagine what it must have been like to hear Jesus say, I have come for those who know they're sinners, who know they're not perfect, who know they got stuff going on in their lives that they need some help with. Imagine what it was like to sit at that table and to know, this man is for me. Consider also Jesus' miracles, okay? I just want you to think about the, the miraculous ways that Jesus impacted the lives of the people on his path. He, he opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the ears of the deaf. He freed people from demonic possession. He healed the paralyzed. He raised folks from the dead. Last week, we looked about how he turned a young boy's lunch into enough food to feed thousands upon thousands of people. Now, here's the thing. No one 
Not even the Pharisees criticized the validity of Jesus' miracles. They saw it with their own eyes. They just wanted him to stop. But Jesus never stopped. He never stopped ministering to people. And I'll tell you this, Jesus' ministry is live and well and active today. And chances are you right now are sitting next to someone or near someone who is the result of Jesus' ministry. There are people in this room who were suffering from addictions and Jesus stepped into their life and set them free. There are people in this room whose marriages were or may be on the rocks and Jesus brought restoration and harmony into that household. There are folks in this room who struggled with infertility and Jesus blessed them. And there are people in this room who were tormented with depression and anxiety and Jesus brought them peace. You have many, many spiritual options in this world, but I would just have you consider the ministry of Jesus, the broken people that he loved, and the lives that he changed. I'd also have you consider the Jesus' death and resurrection. One of the major things we know about the Christian God is that he loves people so much, but he hates sin. And what he hates is, is what sin has done to us and what it's done to the earth that we live on. Paul says something incredible in, in Romans 5. He says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This word while is enormously important. So telling about the nature of God. He didn't wait to send Christ until we were good enough. He didn't wait to send his son until we had done enough good works. He didn't wait until we had reached a certain level of enlightenment or until we had donated enough money, or until we prayed enough prayers. Paul says, while we were God's enemies, he made us his friends through the death of his son. Folks, if you want to talk about a loving God, here it is, okay? While we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, God sent his one and only son into this world to die on our behalf. Why? so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father because there was no way to Him but through His Son. And when Jesus hung on that cross, naked, humiliated, beaten to a pulp and innocent, Scripture says that we actually mocked Him. And in spite of all of that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And then he died. But he didn't stay dead. Paul tells us that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. He's talking about the Old Testament. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, like this, though some have died, right? So, <laughs> I thought that was kind of, yeah, some are dead, but anyway. If you don't believe me, Paul is saying, go ask them. I'll tell you where they live. I'll give you their address. I'll give you their email. Why would he say this? Because almost immediately, I mean like the very next day, like a Monday morning after Easter Sunday, people get, begin to go, mm -mm, he's not alive. No, no, no. This is, this, is a, this is a scam job they're pulling here, right? The disciples stole Jesus' body to perpetuate 
this myth. Now, this is something people still believe to this day. And if you believe this, that's your prerogative. But let's just be reasonable for a second. You're all smart, smart people. That's why you come to this church. Do you really think that 11 small town, backwoods, podunk, uneducated, average Joes, because that's what they were, devised the most elaborate, deceptive scheme in the history of the world and so successfully pulled it off and kept it secret that it continues 2,000 years later. Furthermore, let's think about this. What would the disciples have gained by promoting this myth? Okay, first of all, if Jesus died and then didn't come back, he was a fraud. All right, why hit your wagon to that? So, so what would these men gain? by just by continuing the charade. Well, what's in it for them? I can tell you this. There are generally three things that every human being desires, sex, money, power. These are the driving motivators of ambitious people. But the teasing of Jesus eschewed the love of all of these. Now, many people will say, well, a religion is just about controlling people. Really? Because Jesus said, I came to serve not be served. My man literally washed people's feet. So these men had nothing to gain. They had no personal motive. All they had was extreme personal loss. All of them would continue to boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and all of them, except for John, were executed for it. Which means those who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ were willing to give their lives for it. Why? Because he did come back. And he was who he claimed to be, the Messiah and the Son of God. So I'd have you consider Jesus' ministry. I'd have you consider his life and his resurrection. But lastly, I would love for you to consider Jesus' mission. In 1 John 4, John is talking to us about false teachers. That's the term he uses. He's like, look, listen, here's the deal. In this life, you're going to run into some people who are going to try to lead you astray spiritually, right? It's not an if, it's a when. Now, if you're a Christian, he goes, I'm going to give you a litmus test that you can use to figure out if this person is teaching God's word or if they're a false teacher. Here's what John says. This is how you can know God's spirit, right? Every spirit, and I would use like the word human there, every human who confesses that Jesus came to earth as a human being, they're from God. Now, what I want to point out and focus on is how John said that Jesus came to earth. I want to show you a different translation that makes this point a little stronger. This is how you can recognize God's spirit. One spirit says, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah who came to earth and became a man. This is huge to understand, okay? Now, I'm not going to lie. What I'm about to say is a little confusing. So I need you to stay with me. If you've checked out, that's fine. Just come back in for just a, a second. When considering Jesus in relation to all the other world religions, because that's what we're doing today, what John is telling us right here in this verse is that Jesus was God in the flesh who came into the world. In other words, Jesus wasn't just born. We know Christmas happened, but he wasn't just born. He didn't grow up and become the Messiah. He wasn't a Jew who did it perfectly and then achieved divinity. Jesus came to earth, which means he was somewhere else 
before he came, meaning he pre-existed earth. But when the time was right, God sent his son and a woman gave birth to him. Here's why this is so important. Every other religious founder was a normal human being. They were born in this world and they were of this world. And what you will find is that every other world religion seeks to separate you from the world. They seek to give you some way or some path to escape the world, either through devotion, through transcendence, through becoming one with the universe or the cosmos, or through, through some higher level of consciousness. How come? Well, because the world is bad. And as humans, we need to just escape the world. Jesus, however, came to redeem the world. And it is this fact that distinguishes Christianity from every single other world religion. Jesus' mission wasn't just to help us escape the world, but to redeem it and to redeem death and to redeem disease and poverty and justice, and the list goes on and on and on. God's desire since the beginning of time, I'm talking, you know, the Garden of Eden, his desire was to live with human beings alongside them on this earth. But sin messed that up. And God sent Jesus to make things right. Now, at the very end of the Bible, book of Revelations, John was given a glimpse of the end where God's story finally gets all wrapped up and he sees what he calls the new heaven and the new earth after everything's been redeemed. And he says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. You go back and you read this. It's an incredible picture of heaven actually coming down and meeting earth. This right here proves that God has never turned his back on this world. He never gave up on this world. This right here proves that God has a plan for this world and a plan for your life and everything that's going on in your life right now. God is orchestrating it all, leading to this moment. This is the end of God's story. His plan was never to remove you from this earth, but to redeem you along with it. He always wanted to live with you. And one day in the future, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will get to live with him on a perfect earth. And as if that's not good enough, it says he will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's your eye. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Jesus didn't come to earth to help us escape it. Jesus came into the world that he created so that he could redeem it. So that he could redeem his children. And so that he could reign alongside us for all eternity. So let's go back to where it all started. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is an exclusive claim. I get it. And it might make you feel uncomfortable. And it might make you want to fight back or challenge it because it's not politically correct. I get it. But if what Jesus is saying is true, then we seriously need to consider it. Because if not Jesus, then who? 
So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here, every single week at DHC, we throw this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. I only got one question for you. And it might take you a long time to answer this question, but I would challenge you to really think about this. Here it is. What do you believe? Now, I've invited you to consider Jesus. I can't convince you to believe in him. I can't force you to believe in him. I never would try that, okay? All I can do is present to you the facts, right? And here's the fact. One day, you will die. Okay, nobody gets out alive. One day, you will take your last breath, and something happens. You go somewhere, okay? Maybe it's into the ground, and it's lights out. Maybe you turn into an animal. Maybe you go to heaven. Maybe you go to hell. But no matter who you are or what you've done, good or bad, when you die, something happens. And so my advice to you is this. Do your homework. Okay? Figuring out what you believe is the single most important thing that you will ever do in your entire life. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your family. It is the most important thing that you, as an individual human being, will ever figure out in your entire life. Now, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which means, he's either a liar, or a lunatic, or he's Lord. But he's not a hobby. He's not a good luck charm. He is not one path of many. He either is who he claims to be or he is pure, blown, crazy. But he is nothing in between. Scripture says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. No matter who you are. No matter who you are. No matter what you've done. Okay? No matter what you're doing. No matter how dark your life is. No matter how many times you have screwed up. No matter how many secrets you are keeping. You, and I mean you, are made right with God through Jesus Christ alone. You take any other religious system. And it teaches you it's about you. It's about your good works. It's about your goodness. Christianity says, it's all about Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I firmly believe that you had a plan for this world. But sin got in the way. We messed it up. We broke that connection that we had from you, Lord. Scripture says that every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of your glory, God, but you didn't give up on us. As much as we screwed up and keep screwing up, Lord, you loved us enough to send your son to die on our behalf that should we just say yes to him through no work of our own, you would save us. You would come into our lives. You would be our God. God, I pray if there is someone here today 
who does not know your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray that maybe today is the day where they would say, I don't, I don't understand it all, but I know something's off in my life. And I'm wondering if I, I wonder if Jesus is what I need. God, I pray that if it's the case, I pray that you would give them the strength to believe, to take that step of faith, that you would come into their life and change them in a radical way. And God, for those of us in this room who do know your son as our Lord and Savior, who would call ourselves Christians and his followers, I just want to publicly thank you for what you've done in our lives. And if you did nothing else but save us from our sins, God, that would be enough. But yet you continue to bless us beyond measure. And we are eternally grateful for that. Thank you, God, for sending your son into this world. And it is his name that powerful and mighty and matchless name that Scripture says all knees will bow down to. I pray in that name, and I place all of these requests in Jesus' name. Amen.